0: Jeff says, um, we're calling it Becoming Like Jesus. We're not going to read Bible passages today. They're both on, we're going to use two passages. They're both on your page there, but I I would ask you to have those before you. The series, um, we're doing a four-part mini-series, is that right, Sam? ended up being four on the fruit of the Spirit. Um, We're not going to look at each. There are actually nine fruit of the Spirit in Paul's list there in Galatians 5, verse 22 but we're going to choose four of them to look at, and I'm going to get us started here today. Before we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, I want to just put um, chapter 5, verse 22 of Galatians into its bigger context. So if you have the Galatians part of that page open before you, uh, we don't have the whole book of Galatians, uh, but I'll very quickly drop us into that. Paul's writing to A bunch of Christians in what's modern-day Turkey. They're probably scattered all over the place so it's not it's not a city church like some of the other uh, letters are written to a particular city it's more of a region Um, and he's a lot of his uh, recipients of this letter are Gentiles so they are people who haven't grown up in the Jewish faith and what what Paul the message the gospel that he brings to these Gentiles is that through Jesus Christ they can become a part of the family of God. Every bit as much as a Jewish descendant of Abraham was part of the family of God, because Jesus came, the the borders of the family have been widened. Anybody who comes through Jesus Christ, Jew or Gentile, can now be part of the family of God. So this is the message that Paul preached whenever he traveled in the region of Galatia. He says famously in chapter 3, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. doesn't matter if you're a Jew or you're a Gentile. If you come to God through Jesus Christ, you're part of the family. That's the message. But something's gone wrong in Galatia. Uh, that, That wonderful freedom seems to be under attack. There's been other teaching in the church since Paul's first visit, between his visit and between his now writing this letter. Teachers coming along saying, no, a Gentile can't just join the family of God. It's not as simple as that. If a Gentile's going to find their place in the family of God, they've got to take on the whole Jewish way of life. Uh, You've maybe heard talk about circumcision, about Jewish festivals other parts of the Jewish law you can't just trust in Jesus, you've got to effectively become a Jew so that's that's what's at stake here with this uh, letter to the Gentiles and when Paul gets to hear about this he's furious and the first four chapters of his letter he's been really challenging this false teaching, he's been insisting no, Jesus is all that we need you can come to God, whatever your background, through Jesus Christ. We don't need to live by the Old Testament law, by Jewish laws. Instead, we live lives of freedom. We live with Christ in us, and we walk by his spirit. I want to slow down a bit there. I've tried to dump the whole of Galatians on you in three or four minutes, okay? Don't worry. We can slow down a wee bit now. This news... That you get to be in the family of God and that you get to follow Jesus Christ without obeying laws. It's quite troubling for some people in Paul's times. It stressed a lot of people at the time of the Reformation too. If you remember your Reformation theology or anything of that history, we're thinking about that uh, 500 years anniversary of Luther uh, last year. This idea that um, we can come to God that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that it's nothing to do with our works and what we do, so that none of us can bring anything with us to God. It's all by grace. This, this teaching was troubling in Galatia, it was troubling in the Middle Ages, and it's still troubling now. Because here, here's why it's troubling because we start to worry if it's true that a person can come to God regardless of their own works then surely once he gives them his grace once he forgives them will they not just go on living these immoral lives? That was a question for Galatia a question for the Reformation still a question for us today how if you're received by grace how do you live the Christian life? Well, Paul's point is you don't live it under the law. But nor do you live it in a lawless kind of a way. He says there's another way we're called to live. We're to live our lives in the power of God's Spirit. Okay? It's not in a vacuum. It's in the power of God's Spirit given to us by Jesus. Now we're into Galatians 5, and you can start to really look at that page in front of you. Look at verse 1. Paul says that the gospel is about freedom. It's it's not about law. It's about freedom. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and don't let yourselves be burdened by a yoke of slavery. You're free. Don't let anyone take your freedom. That that would make Paul cross if he was here today. If he had a sense that we were calling ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, but we're living under rules and and laws in in our churches or in our own minds, it would make him cross. He says we're free. Don't let anyone take your freedom. But he goes on. He says that they're free from the law and from its demands, from trying to please God. But what are they free for? If it's not about obeying laws, what's life going to be about? How's it going to work? He says that they're free to live lives of love. Three times here in chapter 5. Look with me. Verse 6. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Verse 13, Don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Verse 14, The entire law is summed up in a sim- single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. We're free from the law to live lives of love. That's great, Paul. But it's not easy. Have you ever tried loving some of the the guy at the desk next to me? Have you ever have you ever tried doing this? So this stuff is is you know. Do you know how difficult it can be to love? Like if you were in a family like mine, Paul, you wouldn't just say that. How are we going to do this? How are we going to live lives of love? So Paul tells us the calling is to a life of love, but it's to a life empowered by the Spirit three times. in in those verses at the end of the chapter. Verse 16, live by the Spirit. Verse 18, we're going to be led by the Spirit. Verse 25, keep in step with the Spirit. The only way I'm going to live a life of love is if God puts something inside of me that isn't already there because I'm not naturally a loving person. He's going to have to put his spirit in me. Folks, I'm nearly finished with introducing the fruit of the spirit to you here. I want to treat this as an introduction for this whole series, okay? Um, I want you to think with me just for a couple of minutes about these fruit of the spirit. Verses 19 to 21, Paul talks about some acts of the sinful nature, he calls them. They're kind of like fruit. This is, like, this is bad stuff that we don't want to be cultivating and seeing grow in our lives. Then in verse 22, he finally talks about the fruit of the Spirit. If we're going to get this, if we're going to get these next four weeks, we need to understand something, okay? Uh, if we're serious about becoming more like Jesus, seeing the fruit of his Spirit grow in our lives, we've got to, got to see how this all works, Look at verse 22. Okay, that's the fruit of the Spirit. That is not a to-do list, okay? If you go away and write out those nine things and say, must try harder in these nine areas, then we've missed the fruit of the Spirit, okay? Paul's not saying, stop doing that stuff in verses 19 to 21. Start doing the stuff in verse 22. He's not saying, you know, Moses gave you 10 commandments. Things have got better since Jesus. There's only nine things that you have to try and do. He, you know, here they are, a new list of commandments. He, he's not saying any of that. Let's 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 trust his intuition. He's used a metaphor. I'm just looking around to see how what what happens when I say the word metaphor. Do people go Whoa, nightmare? You know, I'm a chartered accountant. I'm not a literar, literature background. You know, do people we know what a metaphor is? Sort of. Let, let's let's try this out. So Paul, Paul says he doesn't just say here's a list of things. He calls them fruit. He wants us to think of them in a particular way. So so let's let's think for a second about fruit. It's a natural thing. Okay, you you can't really force fruit to grow, right? Let's think for a second about how fruit grows. If there's a tree and it's alive, it naturally, organically bears its fruit. Fruit is what you get from any living tree. So Paul's saying that these these beautiful qualities, all of which we or or I certainly would want, these are qualities that are going to grow naturally in the life of a person who has the spirit in them. So you can't force this. Maybe that's good news. Well it's kind of good news and bad news. We can't do it, but if we open ourselves to the life of God's Spirit, we can trust that naturally He will do it. I had a I had a fun time, it's probably coming up about I don't know, a year year ago, my wife took away My wife and my son were away on a youth weekend from our church. So I was left for 48 hours to look after my two daughters. They're like 10 and 12. So I'm not the greatest intuitive parent in the world. If I just say that, you know, they're they're still alive. They've reached their teens. I'm counting that as success. But for 48 hours, they were under my care. So I took them away. We have a wee cottage. I took them away to the wee cottage for the weekend late on the Friday night we stopped off at a chippy for onion rings this was about half 11 at night it was just before the pubs were about to get out we were in there for a big portion of onion rings Um, Saturday we had fish and chips at some point and then I think we had a Chinese for tea so my daughter on the Sunday morning to me she just looked at me and she said dad can we have some fruit <laughs> now, my kids have never asked me for vegetables or fruit, and I thought, "Whoa, this is this is a bad moment." So, I think this this the best way to read, Galatians five twenty two as is is like a, an invitation, right? Here's an invitation. God says to us, "Here's what I can grow in you," and our response is, "Lord, I'd love some of that. Can I have some fruit?" Could some of these qualities start to to grow in my life? Guys, I, I know you're here just now for an hour out of a corporate sort of a, a world. It's a world of developing your skill set. It's a world of growing your competencies. But I want to ask you to think about something else, okay? Forget for a second about your abilities, your earning power, your reputation in the industry, forget all about that. Think for a second about your character. Not what you can do, but who you are and who you're becoming. Because that's the territory we're in here with this fruit of the Spirit. This fruit is going to take time. I think character takes time. It's going to take as much time as God's going to give us. For this fruit to grow in our lives. But let's invite the Spirit to come and to to grow this fruit in us. That's what this is all about. All right? I've used way more than half of my time to introduce the series as a whole. I'm going to use a a final fraction to deal with the first of these fruit of the Spirit that we're going to look at, and it's, it's love, right? So if you look there again at 522, you'll see that it's first in the list. Whenever Paul talks about the kind of fruit that the Spirit's going to grow in our lives, he starts with love. He's actually been talking about love before he gets to his list, so he's kind of paved the way. Love, love feels—it kind of feels bigger than the other nine, almost like an umbrella that can go over the whole lot. And whenever he he starts with love and prioritizes it, I think Paul's putting himself in the company of Jesus. Do you remember the time the lawyer came to Jesus? And he said, Jesus, what's, what's life all about? What's the, what's the most important command in the law? Jesus, without thinking, it's love. Love God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He sums up life in this invitation to love. So Paul, Paul follows uh, sweet with Jesus here. If you flick your page, guys, the, the way we have to do this probably with this series is once we get as far as we did in Galatians, if you think about it, I'm really just preaching one word on the list now, aren't I? I'm talking about love. So a useful thing to do is to choose a part of God's word that amplifies that. So we're going to spend the last few minutes thinking about love from First uh, John 4. If you look with me there at verses 7 to 12, verse 8, it says there that God is love. That's a truth that's often quoted. Uh, It's a truth that we we love. Um, And John uses that phrase here in this passage. I think we can notice three things, three important things that John says about love here. First of all, he says that God is the source of all love. Look at verse 7. Love comes from God. All human love comes from God. He's the source of it. God, you see, is He's love through and through. I wonder, do we still believe that? I stood outside City Hall there in early June at a, a an equal marriage rally, and the the hashtag that day was not hashtag God is love, it was hashtag love is love. So love's being defined in our cultures now in a different way. But I'm going to ask you to consider that this is still true, that God is the source of all love and he is the definition of love. It means that even when it doesn't look like love the way God acts, it is love. God is love from top to bottom. Even when he acts in anger, that, that often is God expressing. That's God's love defending itself against those things in the world that would undermine, that would spoil and destroy the world of love that he's created. Love's so fundamental to God's character. John says, verse 8, whoever doesn't love doesn't know God because God is love. So the first thing that we see here is that God is the source of all love. The second thing, John tells us that God has given us proof and model of his love. There's a lot of talk about love in the world. um, And it's quite easy to say to somebody, I love you. People claim to love each other. But how do we know if a person really loves Well, there comes a moment when the words don't really say a whole lot. It's the actions. It's how do we know if a person really loves us? Don't they put their money where their mouth is at some point? Some of their actions spell it out to us. Same same with God. Look at verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So the ultimate proof that God loves us is that he sent his son to die on a cross for us. Nobody does that except out of the deepest possible love. The ultimate proof that Jesus Christ, the son of God, loves us is that he came to the cross for us. yeah I will say it I don't know do you wonder if you're loved I think there are moments for all of us when we might just wonder don't don't ever wonder if you're loved look at the cross of Jesus Christ where the father has given his son where the son has come for you and for me we are loved beyond measure every one of us Third thing to notice very quickly, God's love becomes visible through our love. Look at verse 12. Paul says, No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and God's love is made complete in us. You can't see love. You know? I could I could stand here the rest of the afternoon saying, you know, love, 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 but you can't. It's not something I can bottle and hand to you. You can only see the effects of it. You can only see it lived out and embodied. And this is how God wants it to be. He wants His love to be seen in me and in you. So God people get to see God's love in our lives. I think that's staggering. I'm reminded of a a young woman who joined our church um, probably going back maybe nearly 10 years by now. She arrived um, in less than ideal circumstances in in some ways. Um, She arrived pregnant but not married. Um, At at least historically that would have been an uncomfortable position for a person to find themselves in and to to be coming into a church. Slowly, she came right into the heart of our community and eventually she came to faith in Jesus Christ. I remember talking to her um, just, just personally and then maybe got her to share her story. But I asked her, What was it that drew you into the church? You know, you had these barriers. What, what, what was it that allowed you to find your way in? And she said, It was the welcome I found at the outset. And it was the love of the people that I found once once I was in. Wouldn't that be great if that was happening in church after church, in community after community, in workplace after workplace? The welcome, regardless of our circumstances, we're welcome, and then we find ourselves loved. I just want to wrap things up. Um, and talk for a moment about where we find ourselves in the culture. I'm a Presbyterian minister. Do you remember June of this year, the media? Okay, so we had a general assembly. We made some decisions as a church. They were all over the the media. So whenever I speak in any sort of public place in Belfast and talk about love, I'm imagining at least some people going... I write. Because there's one thing the culture knows about guys like me, they know, and that is that I'm not loving. I'm not loving in the way that they are. That's what they, that's the received wisdom now. And this, I find, I found it quite hard at the time and quite stressful, if I'm honest. But since then, I've, um, with with the grace of God, I feel like I'm bouncing back. And I have a, a sort of an image in my head, and I thought I'd share it with you. M- maybe you find yourself, you're not a Presbyterian, but you're a, a Bible-believing Christian, and actually you're roughly the same spot that I am. What do we do about this? People know that we're not loving, but we're called to demonstrate the love of God. I think we have a challenge, right? I think we need to confuse a few people, right? Take the, take their preconceived ideas that I'm a bigot, that I'm not loving, that I'm, and just flip them upside down. So what needs to happen is that I and my Christian friends and brothers and sisters need to have a quality of love among ourselves that's just uncommon, that's really eye-catching. It means that when I go into my workplace and work among non-Christian colleagues, I'm the loving one on my floor or in my team. And as I said, I need to confuse people because here's what they're going to be saying to themselves. They're going to be saying, but he's a Presbyterian or he's a Christian. I thought they were supposed to be bigots and really unloving. And yet he's the most loving guy in our team. She's the most loving girl on this floor. Let's at least give people a headache, will we? Let's at least confuse them. Let's at least uh, break the narrative open a wee bit uh, by demonstrating the life of God's Spirit in us and the love that he's going to...